0: You're going to be very happy. tear down this wall. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Jesse Hughes Show. I'm so excited to actually be able to record for once. Um, I haven't, obviously, kind of, I haven't done this in a hot minute. Um, School got really busy. Uh, Exams were crazy. But we're here. We're having fun. We're doing things. Um, I'm recording, so this intro, so there's going to be a separate interview at the, that's going to take up the bulk of this podcast episode today with Kyle Thompson, who is the founder of a podcast called Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. It's amazing. I'm gonna be talking to him. I'm so glad I got him on the show. He's one of the he's one of the largest inspirations for among others for me starting this show specifically and starting doing podcasting and doing stuff in Christian and conservative media. You know, I am still very small Not many people listen to me, but, you know, it is what it is, and I'm glad that he agreed to do this, and it's going to be a fun interview. So much stuff has been happening the last few weeks. I wish that I had time to record, like, and just go through everything that's been going on. I unfortunately haven't. I'm recording this, so I'm probably going to release this. You're probably going to be listening to this on Tuesday. I'm recording this on Memorial Day. Today was literally like one of the only three days that I had to do anything. Um, I started a brand new internship in Washington, D.C. I'm working with the House Judiciary Committee Republicans. And let me tell you, that has been an amazing t- I've only been working for them with like, for like two weeks. This will be my third week. But it's still been like an amazing time. I am very happy to be doing this. It's awesome. I love it. I can't wait to share some more stories with y'all as the summer goes on. But for now, we're going to put that to the wayside and we're going to get ready for this amazing interview with Kyle. I can't wait. Again, like I said, I'm glad he agreed to it. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So buckle your seatbelts because here we go. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Jesse Hughes Show. Um, Today I am very excited because we have a very awesome interview about to start here. Just real quick before that happens, I just wanted to say a quick shout out to all of the families and all of those who have military in their family. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for everybody who has gone forward and sacrificed For this awesome country, Um, I'm recording this on Memorial Day. I don't know if it will be posted on Memorial Day, but I am recording this on Memorial Day. And I just want to wish everybody a happy Memorial Day and say thank you to all of those who have sacrificed for us. Today we have a very special guest on. He is the host of Undaunted Life, a man's podcast, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to all the time. Um, And also the owner of the site Undaunted.Life which has tons of cool resources, including my personal favorite, a hundred books that every Christian man should read, something that I'm hoping to get through at some point. Um, Kyle Thompson, how are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm good, man. Thanks for having
0: me. Absolutely. So just to start out, I wanted to kind of get an idea because I've been listening to you for a while, probably I want to say around like the first few episodes I have found out about your podcast and fell in love with it. I thought it was awesome. Um, But I've wanted to start out by just asking kind of you to give a brief background and overview of yourself and maybe a little bit of like your faith journey and how you got to where you are today and how that led you to what you do now.
1: Well, that's going to take me the rest of our time today. So if that's, a, if that's okay, if I answer all those questions, I guess the longest short of it, born and raised in Oklahoma and uh, in terms of faith journey, didn't grow up in a family that had any type of a, a faith, you know, since I was born in Oklahoma, we were Christians, right? So you're Christian by dint of birth is kind of how it went. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of the virtue of you growing up in the Bible belt. Like uh, people just assume they're Christians without, you know, any fruit of that. And so whenever I was in high school, that's whenever you could say I, be, I became a Christian on a particular night, you know, raised my hand which calvinists would not uh say they would say that i didn't raise my hand that it was something else that raised my hand for me but um you know that's around the time you know i learned was learning to become a christian but also i'm like 14 years old so i'm learning to become a man at the same time and so it was an interesting journey for me into my early 20s because you know i was just doing this on my own i didn't have anyone discipling me uh, it's just not really though the way the cookie crumbled for me but i always saw that there was this dichotomy between the manly men that were doing stuff outside the church and the godly men that were doing stuff inside the church and how those two groups never really kind of coalesced or or combined or mixed in. And so, that led me to a few journeys of trying to define biblical masculinity and trying to figure that out, trying to go to different sources uh, for that, and you know, going to other ministries, helping other ministries, helping start other ministries, and just nothing felt like it was hitting the mark. You know, There was some good stuff here or there, but I really felt like there were going to be some rough dudes that were going to miss out on who Jesus was because they would never want to set foot in his church or go to any of these meetings from any of these you know men's groups that they were at, and so that led me to starting Undaunted Life, led me to writing uh, Undaunted Life, um, A Man's Devotional, which was on the UVersion Bible app, which has been completed, I don't know, like 100,000 times now or something. its It's been insane how well that's done. And then that led to the podcast because people want me to meet her, write more, but I don't like writing. It's not really my forte. Led to the podcast, which we launched back in 2017. And then, you know, <clears throat> people think that, it's because you start a podcast that so you're supposed to be huge like within 6 months or 12 months and no it's just been a little grind getting a little bit bigger a little bit bigger a little bit bigger and then uh it's been the last year uh year and some change where we've had the explosive growth but does that does that cover uh, some of the bases you wanted me to hit
0: yeah that that's got it pretty pretty down pat and i would say some would say you were probably predestined to raise your hand but <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the, what's funny thing about that is that's come up uh, for me on a lot of my recent interviews that they, they haven't been released yet, but these are with people that are either Calvinist or very familiar with Calvinist theology. And I'm about to go over to a Calvinist house today to have some burgers and dogs to celebrate Memorial Memorial day. And I like to kind of poke him and say, I didn't actually come here today. Like I, I just kind of like a my way into the car and somehow I ended up at your house. Uh, but you know, I, I kind of poke fun, but if I were to plant my flag anywhere, it'd be very close to the reformed Calvinist, theology there are just some things that i think there's some intellectual snobbery that comes from that group and i think there's some um this this ability to kind of keep people at an arm's distance which reminds me a lot of catholicism before the reformation uh because you had these these people that were so smart and knew everything and you were just supposed to listen to them and that's how i kind of feel like a lot of calvinists act but i'm sure calvinists would would say that they're acting very differently but we're not here to pick on calvinists today
0: Yeah, well, I call myself sometimes a four and a half pointer, so I mean, (laughs) I definitely. Well, what's funny
1: about that is my pastor at my church. He says he's a a four point Calvinist, and there's one point that he just he can't really get past. But you know, it's again, we get into a lot of these arguments with people inside the church where they're not salvation based issues. They're they're not salvific. Some issues are salvific, but like you know, sprinkling uh, for baptism or dunking somebody in full immersion style. The difference doesn't mean your eternity, but there are people that treat it like it does. And so that's one thing that I do like to call out in kind of the Reformed uh, Calvinist group, which is this this idea that they're not wrong, that there's this this smugness, that there's no way they could possibly be determining things wrong. But uh, I can't get a Calvinist to give me a good answer to what did Christians do for the first 1500 years before John Calvin was born? how could they possibly operate before John Calvin came and told them how to be smart and how to get it right I guess uh, for first 1500 years it was mistakes until one guy was born in Europe
0: well some would probably point if they knew their church history would point to Augustine but besides those um yeah no I definitely 100% feel you on that I I personally am like you know I definitely lean more reformed but like if I'm wrong, I'd love to know. And I definitely don't think that these things are salvation <laughs> issues either, but it's, it's a well, fun Je- thing to Jesse, discuss.
1: But. Real quick, that, that's a very important thing. How old are you, Jesse? I'm 20. Okay. So as a 20 year old, to be able to say something like, if I was wrong, I would want to know you are mature beyond your what you could probably even imagine, because I know people that are in their forties and fifties, very well-respected people, maybe in business or academia or something like that. And I've asked them the question before, when we've been arguing, if you were wrong, would you want to know it? and their answers are embarrassing. Like they get madder, right? They get more angry about the debate because the thing is, is that is the posture you should carry into every situation, whether you're talking about religion, theology, politics, you know, how you know woodworking, whatever the thing is, is like, if you're doing it the right way or thinking uh, or, or the wrong way, or if you're thinking the wrong way, you should want people to rebuke you in a nice way and kind of point you towards the best way of doing things. Just yesterday, here's a stupid example. I realized I've been cutting bell peppers wrong for like the last 20 years of my life. I've been sitting here trying to whittle through this thing and then getting seeds everywhere and all these different things. And I watched one video on TikTok and now I know how to cut bell peppers. And so it's like, what if that person knew me for my entire life watching me, you know, cut bell peppers wrong and didn't say a word that would make them a douche. And so, but it was like, they didn't know I existed. I I wasn't, you know, a friend of this person, but that's a silly example to kind of point out something that's like, Hey, if you're wrong, it's okay. Just be right moving forward.
0: Right. Absolutely. I could say the same thing. I love playing music. I play guitar, I play drums, stuff like that. And if I'm wrong, like doing something, especially if it's something that could screw up my form with what I'm doing or like injure my hand or whatever, I want to know, like, tell me I'm doing something wrong, and show me the better yeah. way to do it. And it definitely, I believe, that applies to faith as well. If I'm doing something wrong, I want to know. If in politics, like, if there's something that I believe that maybe is based off of faulty information, like, for example, I used to be a lot more libertarian than I am now, and mm-hmm. and then I began kind of looking at the worldview that the libertarian, the more libertarian, uh, philosophy comes from. I'm like. I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that. So just those kinds of things, like well, I, even
1: with even but, within libertarianism, you, there are good things about it, right. Just like there are good things about conservatism. There are some actual good things about being a traditional liberal. I can't find a single thing about that's good about being a progressive or a leftist,
0: but I don't think anybody. Can. It's
1: these ideologies, like a lot of people, like you have to take them to their to their end. Libertarians' natural ending, is chaos it's anarchism and so like that that's where it goes and there's only so much you can hear a person say the government needs to stay out of my life but then watch them use government services to where you're just kind of like all right i don't take you very seriously
0: exactly absolutely um one of my favorite issues that you like to touch on i just recently was listening to your uh interview with samuel say also someone i have a lot of respect for is Abortion, and that's definitely a very hot topic right now in our society. Mm-hmm. I, the apartment building I'm living in this summer is right next to the Supreme Court, so depending on what happens the next few weeks, I'm going to have a fun time. But yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to get your general impression. Obviously, we know about a month ago, I think it was, It's dang, it's been a month at this point, is when the leaked Dobbs opinion came out from Politico, which was probably one of the craziest things I've seen happen. I, again, I'm only 20, but still, like, I've seen some crazy things happen the last few years, and that was just like, what? But from your general impression, do you believe, just kind of based off the opinion and maybe based off kind of the reaction around that opinion, that we could be moving in a more pro-life direction culturally? Or do you think that we still got some work to do on that?
1: Well, regardless of of what happens in the Dobbins case, I feel like the culture has been moving in a more pro-life direction uh, anyway, Um, which is not what the nine justices, the seven that voted for Roe v. Wade back in the 70s was not what they had in mind. They thought they had settled the issue culturally, like, all right, this is settled now. But at that moment, they created the pro-life movement in the United States you know what I mean? And so we're we're kind of in this thing where we're almost at the 50 year anniversary of this thing. And maybe hopefully we don't even reach it before uh, this thing gets overturned, but there's certainly more work to be done because no matter how you slice it, roughly 50% of the population is what they would call pro-choice. The thing is, is people don't have the foggiest understanding of what it means to be pro-choice because they don't have the foggiest understanding of what happens inside an abortion. They don't know about the gestational periods. They don't know about the development of uh, the embryo of the fetus into a baby. Like, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a baby the whole time, but calling it a fetus, like I'm not offended by that. A fetus is a type of what? Living, breathing human being, right? You know, <clears throat> whether it's breathing amniotic fluid or it's breathing outside the womb. And so uh, for me, the the fight seems like It's going to shift, not change, but shift, because let's say the five justices. So you got Alito, Thomas, ACB, um, Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh. If they stay where they think Roberts could go pound sand Um, and then the other three liberal justices obviously will be voting against it. All it means is it goes back to the states because most people are stupid. They don't realize that. And so states are going to scramble to figure out if they're actually going to protect life or not protect life. So the state I live in, the state of Oklahoma, is set to have the most pro-life, most anti-abortion laws on the books uh, if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Uh, and I'm, I'm working to get Governor Stitt on our podcast to talk through that because there are some holes in his laws. They, they make... Um, provisions for women that are raped or for cases of incest or cases where the mother's life is in danger which is technically not an actual category a woman's life can never be saved by killing the baby that's inside her stomach that's not a real thing um but pro-lifers are gonna as opposed to fight on the federal level they've got 50 states they need to win now about 25 to 30 of those states are going to take care of themselves almost immediately but then you're going to have a couple of dozen states that just love baby murder and so the thing is is their laws are going to become highly liberal so right now they're maybe kind of liberal right kind of middle of the road but then as you've seen signaled by new jersey and new york and illinois and california is they're going to go all the way to the other end of the spectrum uh, abortion for any reason whatsoever up until the moment of birth a lot of them will move to have full taxpayer funding of abortion so women don't even have to come out of pocket to pay a mercenary to murder their children some of these states will have uh uh, funding, state funding for people coming out of state to their state to take care of them. Why they while they kill their children? And so uh, the fight in many ways will just be getting Jesse.
0: Absolutely, and uh, I know I talked about this. Um, I go to Liberty University, probably one of the greatest schools, probably one of the only sane schools still left in the nation. But we have a huge pro life presence on our campus, and still I like I have to struggle with telling people all the time when this if this thing ends. It's not quite over yet. We still have a large fight to go. Um, and But I do think, I do agree with you, that I think that the culture is start to, starting to shift more in the pro-life direction. And something I've noticed is, I say this as a joke with my friends sometimes, about probably 70% of the people you see are actually fake. <laughs> but like in a way, when you think about it, most of the people that you see don't really have a strong opinion on a lot of stuff they just kind of go with the flow and so it kind of fills me with hope with that that maybe if we if this gets overturned and people kind of start realizing a little bit more of the just um insanity and the absolute sadness and debauchery of abortion that people will start shifting just because they're like oh yeah okay yeah i can see that but um On that note, I do think it was interesting. You brought up, for example, the uh, exceptions, and um, I I do agree with you. There's no case where killing a kid um, saves the mother's life, and people also like to bring up eptopic pregnancies all the time. There's procedures for stuff like that that don't involve aborting the child but actually can uh, save both. Sometimes it doesn't, but a lot of times it does, but you don't hear about that because we have a media system that's controlled by the abortion lobby, and they don't want you to hear about that, but um, I know that some pro-lifers have, um, I know that you've described yourself as pro-life, full and full, absolutely all the way, no exceptions, while others have not kind of gone that route, and they do allow for some exceptions, but it does bring up the interesting point, and this was the topic of your podcast the other day, about some of those that consider themselves full abolitionists versus those who are okay with the more incremental steps and how kind of the abolitionist mindset damages or hurts the movement. I'd never really actually heard about that or thought about that until I heard y'all talking about that. Could you kind of weigh in a little bit more on that just for maybe some other people that might not be familiar with that idea?
1: Yeah, for, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, Samuel say, who's a Christian political and conservative commentator, he is on the same as me, basically meaning I think that abortion should be outlawed completely, no exceptions whatsoever. Also, I think that everyone that participates in an abortion thereafter should be uh should be convicted for murder so that includes the mother that includes any of the men in the life that push her in that direction that includes the abortionist that includes the nurses anyone that was an accessory to that murder should get the exact same charges um and sam samuel say agrees with me on that however there is a faction of, of the pro-life movement that are called they call themselves abolitionists that would say that he and i are not abolitionists because we're okay with incremental approaches to the complete eradication of abortion in the United States. And so what we mean by that is that we would support legislation that saves babies lives. But abolitionists say that legislatively, the only way to be a full abortionist is if you only support laws that go for the complete criminalization of abortion and for equal protection under the law for unborn infants. Now, the problem with that is, and this is the analogy I use, even though Samuel doesn't really understand football because he grew up in Africa and he's been living in Canada uh, for the last couple of years, is football, American football. So your drive starts on the 25-yard line. You're the head coach. You're the offensive coordinator. 100 times out of 100, you would love to score on the very first play. You would love the running play to bust for 75 yards or the pass play to be for 75 yards. Best possible outcome for you. The odds of that happening, even in Pee-Wee League, Pop Warner, any of those types of things when you're playing a terrible team is close to zero that you're going to score a 75-yard touchdown every single time. You have to take what's given to you. So if the defense is playing prevent from the very beginning, they're playing off the ball. They're they're giving each wide receiver, you know, the cornerbacks are given 15 yards, you know, the safeties are playing way back, all those different things. Well, guess what? You might just have to settle for a 15-yard pass on a first down. Right. But eventually you do want to get to the end zone. So in this argument, Jesse, the end zone is full criminalization of abortion and, uh, you know, equal protection under the law for all unborn human beings. But that's not how the system works anywhere on the planet. Now, these people would say I- I'd be not having enough faith because, you know, we're called to, you know, on earth as it is in heaven and God's law and his law word, you know, goes beyond everything else. And Dr. Joe Boot has explained that on my show. And, and that that that's great. And I would say that I agree with that. But we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. We live in a broken society where sin has crept in. Even the people that believe like you do that are in Congress can't just snap their fingers and make things happen, right? Even if you have the White House, even if you have both houses of Congress, there are checks and balances here, You know, great checks and balances here in this country that have kept us from ruin up to this point. But that's what these abolitionists don't seem to understand is that the incremental approach – is an appropriate approach because the thing is, is if my options are a ban on abortions for every baby after a heartbeat can be detected at six weeks or abortion up until the day of birth for any reason whatsoever paid for by taxpayer funding. I'm sorry. I'm going with the one that uh, that bans abortion after six weeks. I don't see how this is hard to understand.
0: I absolutely agree. Um, and I, this is one of the only issue, well, maybe not the only, but one of the few like high profile issues where it's, there's people that are so all or nothing that they don't accept any incremental approaches. And I'm glad you brought up checks and balances because I, being a student of history and a student of government, like it is the system we have probably one of the best, probably the best I in world history up to this point. Now, obviously, we've started seeing some cracks in it in the last 60 years. There have been people taking advantage of it, changing things, doing things that weaken the system, and you've got people nowadays calling for things like the abolition of the Electoral College that would just completely screw things over. Well,
1: the other thing, Jesse, is that people don't understand because we apparently don't teach civics anymore. They don't understand that we're not a democracy. Yeah, absolutely I keep, not. Yeah, I keep hearing we're a democracy, and even guys like Tucker Carlson, the darling on the right, constantly calls us a democracy. Like you can't do this in a democracy, and like. Pretty, pretty much pick somebody that's on the right. Like they've used the word democracy. or a constitutional republic. It is wholly a different thing. A straight democracy means if there are 100 people in the country, 51 of them think this way, the other 49 think the other way, the 51% of people, 51 out of them get to tell the other 49 what to do. Luckily, we don't live in a system like that. And if you get rid of the electoral college, because for years, I was like, that seems reasonable, because if you're a liberal in, you know, Texas, or you're a conservative in California, I want you to make sure you still have your voice. But if that were to happen, essentially, most of the red states would cease to have any importance in electoral decisions. And I understand it doesn't make sense to a lot of people that the state of Montana would have the same number of senators as, you know, highly populated state like Florida or Pennsylvania or New York or California or Texas or something like that. But that's a good thing because they get equal representation and people in highly liberal states that are highly populated won't be able to tell all these middle of the country, red states, flyover states, as they would call them, what to do. That's a very, very positive thing.
0: Most people just don't understand history and don't take the time to understand history. I, I, One of my professors, I loved this phrase. I think he borrowed it from a writer. I'm not sure who, but he always used to say, you know, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it certainly does rhyme. And Mm -hmm. if you look back in time and look at the reasons why the founders put these things in place and the reasons why... We have the Electoral College and the reasons why we have a bicameral legislature with a popular, um, with a, a House that is decided by the people and a Senate that used to be decided by the state legislators, and then they screwed that up with the Seventeenth Amendment. Um, but these things are there for a purpose, and it is as a check on authority to make sure you know we don't fall into the same cycle as the country we just got out of, Britain, or all the other European countries where it's either you've got a king with absolute power or you've got some form of representation, but they usually either fold to the king or they become tyrants themselves. People just don't take the time to look into these things anymore. And it's sad, it's unfortunate, and I wish people would actually read history and actually study because even in the church, there's a lot of church history. People think I've met people that think that the Calvinism versus Arminian argument started like this year, when it's been something that's been going on, like you said, since the 1500s, since the or yes, um, since the Reformation, and even before that, these ideas were probably argued and debated, just not maybe on a high enough level. But circling back, um. Like you said, we don't teach civics anymore. In fact, public schools seem to be teaching everything but history. They seem to be teaching kids how to be gay, how to be trans, how to do all these other things that no no sane civilized society would try to force upon their children. I know for me, I hopefully want to homeschool my kids at some point, but I know that's not an option for everybody. How do you think it's a good, how do you think we should go about kind of with these more socially liberal, like cultural narratives, how we go about circumventing that? Because we're, it's probably going to take a very long time. And I think it's worth it if it takes a very long time, but it's probably going to take a very long time to take back the institutions, take back education and take back all of these things. So in the meantime, while there are people working in that sphere, what should we do as everyday people who might not? Live to see the fruit of the labor in the process of trying to take things back.
1: Yeah, I think one of the silliest pieces of generalized wisdom that I heard for a long time, and I didn't realize it was silly until years down the road, was, yeah, they can teach whatever they want to teach them at the school, but they live in your house. Like you're, they're gonna be with you more hours, and they're gonna be at school, and you have them for the summers, and you have all these things. <clears throat> the reality is, is yeah, you, you've been in high school more recently than I did. What time did you get to high school?
0: Probably, I think it started around 8.05 every day.
1: Let's just call it 8. And what time did uh, your last class or last practice end?
0: Um, last class was usually 3, and then I ran cross country in the fall, so I'd usually get out about 5.
1: So let's call it 5. So from 8 to 5. Right, and before then, you know, you're, you're just getting ready for school, right? Because most families don't wake up at 4 a.m. and do a Bible study together and then, you know, pray with one another and do all those different things. Everyone's trying to get the hell out the door. And so from eight to five, like a full-time job, you were at the school around teachers and coaches and all your knucklehead friends. And then you get home and then what do most schools uh, assign to kids whenever they leave the school? Homework. And so let's call it a couple hours every night of homework or studying. That takes us to seven, okay? Now your parents got stuff to do. Maybe there's errands, maybe there's games, maybe there's track meets, something like that. But let's say none of that were to happen. So your parents technically have you from seven till the time you go to bed, which should probably be around nine o'clock, 9.30. If you're in high school, you need to be getting a lot of sleep. So we're talking two to three hours of time versus eight to seven, almost 12 hours from the school. Call it seven to seven. Let's call it 12 hours. You will never get that time back. There's no number of family vacations you can go on. There's no amount of meaningful time you can spend with one another because what do you do in those other break times? Like mom and dad want to watch a movie. You want to play video games. You want to go hang out with your friends, all those different things. You're not spending all that time together. Now, some people have swung that all the way over to the, well, I'm going to homeschool my kids and do those types of things. So for my wife and I, we both run businesses from our homes. It would seem like we would be the best possible candidates for homeschool. We're not because we like our kids, but we don't like them that much. Like you need to have breaks from your kids. For me personally, I don't think it's healthy for your kids. Number one and number two friends that they see the most often are you and your uh, your uh, co-parent, right? So your wife or or your husband, depending upon where you're at. And so for me, I don't always think that's the most healthy. Uh, Most of the homeschool people that I've been around or their their children, they really struggle interacting with people. And I know there's cohorts now, and I know there's these little schools where, okay, we're going to go to Timmy's house one day, and we're going to go to this person. But a lot of the things, Jesse, that I learned about myself and about the world in school happened in the hallways. It happened in the bathrooms. It happened in the parking lot. It happened going to and from class to and from a baseball tournament, those types of things. Some of those things can get you in trouble, but a lot of those things are really, really important for us to understand and for us to recognize. And so I think that's that's something for a lot of people, for my wife and I, there's not a snowball's chance in hell we're going to put them into public schools because we can't control those situations, but we are going to put you know, if we can make it happen, private Christian school, where we understand the curriculum, where we know the curriculum, but that is not an excuse for parents that put their kids in private Christian school to just turn off their brains and not pay attention to curriculum, because these things can be snuck in like the, these, you know, Marxist ideologies or gender theory or LGBTQ revolution. They can be snuck in anywhere because there's a lot of people within the church right now that are queer affirming that are LGBTQ affirming. And are you, would you be absolutely shocked if one of them taught at one of your local elementary schools, if one of them got through the vetting process as a substitute teacher. And all of a sudden they walk up on the board and they write their pronouns on the board the first day of history class that they're you know teaching your fourth graders. I think that's an important thing, but that that makes a lot of difference. And I haven't really gotten to, to the meat of your question. So I f- figure I should go ahead and do that. Kind of what should we do as everyday people is we have to educate ourselves and we have to pass that information down. So today... I did the the Murph workout because it's Memorial Day. And so I do that. And everybody, if you don't know what that is, you can look it up and look up the history of it. But it's a mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and another mile run, all with a weighted vest on. And you do that to honor the the memories of the people that died on Memorial Day. And it's also to memorialize a deceased Navy SEAL named Michael Murphy. And I played the national anthem before I did the workout. And then I played taps after the workout. And my sons are two and two months old. And so I think it's very important for me to make sure that they're a part of that process in the future, that they're a part of understanding why does dad, dad do this? Like, why does he seemingly torture himself physically when he doesn't have to? Uh, And those are just uh, some of the lessons like 4th of July is going to be a big deal in our house. And they're going to know why the 4th of July is a big deal. And it's not about burgers and lakes and beer. It's about so many more things. And I think it's just about being intentional with our children, being intentional with the people that are in our community that we do pass these lessons down. And I don't know if you'll need to edit this out, but I got a timer blinking at me saying I got less than eight minutes.
0: I see it too. Um, All right. Yeah, this is only audio, so that won't be in the thing. But just, uh, yeah, we're running out of time here. So just real quick, what obviously Undaunted Life is, it's in the title. It's a man's podcast. Your primary core audience is Christian men like me, like a lot of people I know my age and older and some younger what's one just kind of general piece of advice you would give to men in the church today that kind of encapsulates like the entirety of your message?
1: Cultivate spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis. So to kind of break that down, obviously you know this, but your audience may not. uh, The reason why we talk about resilience on our podcast is because strength wanes over time. And I'm the perfect example of that. Go back to the Murph uh, today. So uh, two weeks ago, I started my one week break. So I usually do six week lifting cycles. I did a seven week cycle and then I took one week off. So I just kind of rest, you know, walk, stretch those types of things. And then, you know, I was going to work out, get another week's worth of work in and then do the Murph. No big deal. Like it's, it's, it's a hard workout, but it's, it's not something I can't complete. Well, a week ago today I got the flu and strep throat. And so in order to get through that, I needed to take a crazy amount of medicine and also take another week off. So that was two weeks off from doing anything that was highly physical. I had all this medicine that really taxes your immune system and your cardiovascular system, but the MRF still needed to happen today. So strength I did not have today really in abundance, but I had resilience, that ability to bounce back, that ability to endure through these hard situations. And if you can build your life around being able to do that spiritually, mentally, and physically, there's going to be very, very few things in life that you won't be able to endure. I didn't say thrive. I didn't say be the best at, I didn't say be the most successful at, but again, if, if you can look at just about every situation and put it through the lens of, man, I'm this would really suck if I wasn't spiritually resilient. This would really, really stink if I didn't have the mental resilience to get through this. And man, it would, life would be really tough if I wasn't as physically resilient as I am today, because our mission is equipping men to push back darkness. And so how do you do that? You do that by a whole bunch of men taking that call seriously not only the call to push back darkness but the call to cultivate spiritual mental and physical resilience on a daily basis
0: awesome uh where can people find you kyle
1: so undaunted.life that's the website like you said from the very beginning and our show is everywhere you can get get a podcast so spotify apple podcast google play you know stitcher all the different places just search for undaunted life a man's podcast or search my name kyle thompson you'll be able to find us
0: awesome thank you so much for being on today uh Thank you guys for listening. I hope you all enjoy. Um, And God loves you, so do I. Y'all know the deal. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to my interview with Kyle Thompson from Undaunted Life. It was a pleasure having him on the show. Um, Once again, just take a moment and think about, even if you're listening to this after Memorial Day, just take a moment to think about and appreciate the sacrifice that so many have given that we could live in the country that we do now. I personally call it the greatest country in the world. I think it is. Nobody can. I hope you guys have enjoyed. Um, God loves you. So do I. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, all social media at jhughes1776. Um, find me on YouTube. Go subscribe there. I have some pretty cool projects and videos in the works uh, that I think all of you will enjoy. And Don't forget to go check out Kyle's stuff. Go check out Undaunted Life. It's amazing. Highly recommend it. Thank you all so very much for listening. Have a great day. I'll see you in the next one.